0: Please stand with me as we read God's word together. From 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. And both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul wrote also also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. You You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we know that there is nothing that we could pray right now that you do not know. So we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray, that even now your name would be hallowed. Even now your kingdom would come. And your will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we've journeyed through 2 Peter these past two weeks, we've seen Peter shepherd the flock of God. We've seen his love for Jesus displayed in his feeding of the sheep as he exhorts them to be fruitful Christians as they grow in their knowledge of Christ. We've seen Peter protect his sheep through the warnings against false Christians and scoffers among them. Those whom the sheep can recognize because of their bad fruit. Those who have sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Peter leads his sheep to pay attention to the apostles' teaching. We are not to be those who are so nearsighted that we are blind. We are not those who deliberately overlook what God has done. Instead, we fix our eyes on the word of God, which is a lamp shining in a dark place. We look at what God has done, and we look forward to what he has yet to do. We live in a world that prize is looking forward, don't we? What does the world, those who do not know Christ, esteem? What do they look forward to? The world desires to be innovative, to be enlightened, to be visionary, to be ambitious, most of all, and perhaps most insightful of all, the world desires to be progressive, to advance. But like those who built the tower at Babel, all of the innovation and ambition and progress is not for God's glory. Rather, it is to make themselves gods of their own kingdom, to make a name for themselves, as it were. And because the world has no use for God, and they're looking forward. They reject all that God has ordained and all the examples of the past. God is not the determiner of right and wrong because we've evolved beyond that, they say. God does not have a say in how we ought to live. Those who hold to what the Bible says are stuck in the past. You're backwards thinking. You're ignorant. You're unevolved. You're outmoded. And there will be pressure from the world, and perhaps you feel it already, To question and then to denounce biblical truth. After all, all that we call good, the world calls evil. And all that we call evil, the world calls good. And have we not seen those who call themselves Christians for so long hold fast to the faithful word only to renounce their beliefs when the pressure comes? What will happen if tomorrow you are told you will lose your job? Lose your business, lose your friends, lose all that you hold dear in this life unless you go along with what the world calls good, but you know it to be evil. The world continues to say that you will be on the wrong side of history unless your views evolve to the present standard. We, we here, look at the world, all things that are continuing as they were. Apart from what we innovate, apart from how we advance as human race, the world continues on its course, apart from any intervention of your so-called God. Perhaps then, we are tempted to doubt ourselves. Are we on the wrong side of history? Have we got it wrong? Is what I'm about to pay worth the cost? In the moment, and in that moment when the pressure comes, it may be too late to withstand it. No, we instead need to build our house on a foundation of rock now, so that... When the flood rises and the stream breaks against the house, the house will not be shaken. So we build our house even this morning as we remind ourselves that there are certain, just as there are certain to be false teachers and scoffers, we are certain that, too, the day of the Lord will come. In your notes, that was the first heading there, the day of the Lord will come. scoffers have skepticism because they are following their own simple desires. The scoffers claim that history proves that God is not intervening in the world. So there is no promise of Jesus' return. Since it never occurred before, it will not occur now, and there will be no judgment. We can live how we want to. They point to the time since the Old Testament patriarchs died, and even further back to creation of the world itself. However, Peter shows that the scoffers... What the scoffers should have known, even through their own argument. They deliberately overlook historical events when God did intervene. And we see that when the day of the Lord comes, it will come by God's word. That's our first point in the outline there. When the day of the Lord will come, it will come by God's word or his command. We see that in verses 5 through 7. Peter uses two examples that display God's intervention in the world to support the idea that God will intervene again. What do we read in verse 5? The heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. This speaks to creation itself. God created the earth by separating and gathering water. We could Go back to Genesis 1 and verse 6. There we read, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. This was God creating heaven on the second day. In verse 9, we read, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. This was God creating the earth and the seas. Next, Peter writes in verse 6 And that by means of these, by means of what? The water and the word, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. This of course uh, refers to the flood in Genesis 6-9. through So God created the world through water and the word and judged the sinfulness of mankind through water and the word. And we read at the start of verse 7 that God is not done intervening. For by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. We notice that now God's word will be used with fire. Why fire? Why does Peter depart from this theme of water in the Word? We can recall what was what we read in uh, what we could read in Genesis nine eleven, that after the flood subsided, God said to Noah, I will establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth so that we know now when God judges the world again, it will not be by water, but by fire. And we know that this fire is a judgment, as we read in verse 7 to the end, by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored for fire, being kept, being kept until what? Until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So we know that the day of the Lord will come, that it will come by God's word, and it will come for God's judgment, which is point two in our outline. It will come for God's judgment. We read that in verse seven. There are many Old Testament examples of God's judgment through fire, notably Malachi 4.1. There we read, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall Set them ablaze," says the Lord of hosts, "so that it will leave them neither root nor branch." And there are many New Testament examples of God's judgment through fire, Notably in Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses five through eight. There we read in Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses five through eight, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God In fact, Peter's earlier use of Sodom and Gomorrah being turned to ashes in chapter 2, verse 6 of Second Peter is a foreshadowing of this uh, final fiery judgment. In Genesis nineteen twenty four, we read that the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. The same word that created the world and judged sinful mankind before will again judge the ungodly. So we know that the day of the Lord will come by God's word and for God's judgment. But why hasn't that day come yet? Why can the scoffers say that since the Old Testament patriarchs died, that all seems to be continuing as, it, as they were from creation? The first generation of Christians are fading from the scene, including Peter himself. Why hasn't Jesus returned? Peter reminds the church that unlike these scoffers who deliberately overlook biblical history that they should have known, Christians should not overlook that same history. Christians should, in fact, remember that the day of the Lord will come in God's patience. That's our third point. The day of the Lord will come in God's patience. I get that from verses 8 through 9. Here we read, But do not overlook this one fact, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand days as one year. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The scoffers are not viewing time from God's perspective. The Christians who know their Bible, recall what we read in Psalm 90, verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. So what's the point here that Peter is trying to make? Is this a mathematical equation to be solved that we can replace a thousand years with one day? I don't think so. I think it's an affirmation that God's view of time, the eternal transcendent God's view of time, is wholly different from our view of time. What seems long to us is short to him. What seems long to us is short in view of eternity. But how often are we like the scoffers? We want what we want when we want it. And we find it very difficult to wait. That is in part why we need to supplement our faith with self-control. And our self-control with steadfastness. We need to patiently endure. Instead of focusing on the minutes and the hours... And the days and the years and the longness of it all, we ought to then focus on God's purpose and what appears to be his slowness to fulfill his promises. And what is God's purpose in being patient? Is it not salvation? God is being merciful and gracious with mankind, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, that is, a turning away from their sin and a turning to God in Christ for forgiveness. Cleansing and eternal life. What a promise and a hope that we have that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'll read that again. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone in this room, everyone in your families, everyone with whom you interact every day, without distinction, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved so we say call upon his name even now and be saved is each day then not an opportunity to thank God for his great mercy knowing that each day that he does not return is an opportunity for people to be saved let us praise God for his patience with sinners how much do we need that patience even today So God is being patient and delaying the day of judgment. But when it does come, it will come like a thief. That's what we have in point four of our outline. That comes from verse 10. When the day of judgment does come, it will come like a thief. What an interesting juxtaposition that is. The scoffers say, look at how history is trending. There's no indication that things are trending towards Jesus' return. And we too may be lulled into thinking that since we've had every day of our life, from our birth up until this very day that we will have tomorrow, or many more days in our future. And while scripture has, uh, God in Scripture has given signs of his return, we know, despite many who tried to predict the actual date, that when the day of the Lord comes, it will be like a thief. That, that is, it will come suddenly and without warning. Because it will come like a thief, let us heed Paul's words, in First Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 4. He writes there, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security. Do we say that even now? <laughs> while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Or as Jesus said in Luke 12, verses 39 through 40, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we know that the day of the Lord will come by God's word. It will come for his judgment in God's patience. Yet it will come unexpectedly like a thief. And then we continue to read in verse 10. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And now we see that the purpose of the day of the Lord is to expose. That's point five in our outline. The purpose of the day of the Lord is to expose. From verse 10. Literally, that word expose means to be found. Found by whom? I'd say found by God. Isn't that what we read in verse 14? Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The hymn there is God from verse 12. So this description that we read here of things being burned up and dissolved, as well as in verses 11 and 12, this has been a challenge to biblical scholars uh, through the ages to explain. But we'll do our best here uh, to briefly examine what is likely meant by these terms, this apocalyptic language that Peter is using. The first event is that the heavens will pass away like a roar. We can see similar language to that in Isaiah sixty-four one through four, Matthew twenty-four twenty-nine through thirty-one. The heavens likely refers to the sky itself, and the roar is like a rushing sound or a crackling sound of fire, as one commentator puts it. Uh, perhaps we uh, should consider here a picture described in Isaiah thirty-four four, that of the host of heaven. Uh, being rotted away, the host of heaven shall rot away it says there and the skies will be rolled back like a scroll the next event is that the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved we see this also in verses 11 and 12 some think that the heavenly bodies here could refer to angelic beings as this term uh, was being used in the New Testament at this time These angelic beings may have power over nature. These heavenly bodies could also refer to uh, stars and planets or maybe a combination of the two. But this word that's translated heavenly bodies also could be translated elements. In that case, it would refer to the basic building blocks of creation. That would be earth and air and fire and water. Everything that makes up the physical world which is the, uh, the translation that I lean towards. I think the present context seems to indicate this, that these heavenly bodies are these elements are uh, the physical world. And so what will happen to this physical world? We read here that it will be burned up and dissolved. So then we are presented with another challenge. What does Peter mean here when he says burned up and dissolved? It's difficult to know if Peter is referring to annihilation or destruction of this present world and a creation of an entirely new one, or whether he's referring to a purification and renovation of this current world, it seems best to consider how God generally seems to work. So we might consider something like Romans 8, 21 through 23, which speaks of a hope for redemption, both for creation and in ourselves, that we would have our bodies being transformed that creation would be set free from bondage to sin and corruption. We see even a continuity in Christ's resurrection body from what he had before when he walked the earth. We can read about that in 1 Corinthians 15. And even in uh, our scripture reading from earlier today in Revelation 21, it speaks about the new heavens and the new earth, for the old heavens and the old earth had passed away. So this is a renewal But whichever side you come down on there, I think without a doubt what we know from this is that the purpose of these fires is to expose all the works on earth. That's what we read at the end of the verse there. What is meant by this being exposed or being found? It seems that all man has done will be exposed or be made manifest to God. All will be laid bare, as it were, before God, before his judgment. There will not be anything or anyone that will be hidden from him. We can read similar language to this in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15. We read there, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. All the world builds is destined to be consumed by fire, to be destroyed. And I think that's Peter's point. These false teachers were pursuing and trusting in all these things that will be uh, burned and dissolved by fire. This world is fading away. Their towers of Babel will be destroyed. Knowing this beforehand, then, beloved, we do not pursue that which is passing away. We instead look forward to that day when God ushers in a new heavens and a new earth. So now we come to our second heading there in our outline. Since Christians look forward to that day, What do we do? Well, first, we live in holiness. First, we live in holiness. I get that from verse 11. We read there, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, that is, all this world is going to be burned, all this world is fading. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, Since there is a day of judgment, since there will be destruction of the ungodly, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? We know this world is passing away, do we not? Although we can be fooled into thinking otherwise. Well, that ought to make a difference in how we live. We are to live, first of all, holy lives. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be separated from sin and evil on account of which the judgment of God is coming. Instead, we are to be dedicated to God, separated to God. What did Peter write in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13? There we can read, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your f- hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We are, as Peter says later in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, We need to be reminded that we are sojourners and exiles. We are to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our very souls. We are to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against us as evildoers, and they will, they will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we need to be holy separated from sin. We are daily and moment by moment wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, putting death, the deeds of the body. We are to be godly. We are to be devoted to God. Further, we are to hasten the day. That's number two under that second heading. Further, we are to hasten the day. So we look forward to that day, we live in holiness, and we hasten that day. From verse 12. We read there, we are waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, as we read in, uh, there in verse 12. What is this waiting for that we read about? This waiting for. Well, it's not passive, it's a looking forward, it's an anticipation. We read that same word and phrase in verse 13. We are waiting for what? We are waiting for our new heavens and a new earth. In which righteousness dwells. And we read that same phrase in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him. We are eager for that day to arrive. We know that what is coming, and so that leads to action on our part. In fact, we hasten that day, that is, we hurry it along. God ordains the ends, and he ordains the times. We can read in Acts 17, verse 31 where we see that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. So we do not deny God's sovereignty in this. But God also ordains the means to those ends. And the means he uses is the church of Jesus Christ. So how do we as a church hasten that day? I can think of at least three things here. We can hasten that day by praying. We can pray even as we did this morning, that his will be done that his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We can preach and evangelize to hasten that day. We can read in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Thirdly, it's implied in verse 11 that even our holy living In obedience hastens the day. For we read there, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness hastening the coming of the day of God? So we are to hasten the day. Further, we are to pursue conformity to Christ. That's number three. We are to pursue conformity to Christ. I get that from verses 13 through 14. Which doesn't mention Christ, but let me explain. We read in verse thirteen, but according to His promise, that as God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, verse fourteen. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. So, one aspect of looking forward is that we know judgment is coming, the destruction of the ungodly from verses ten and eleven. But the other side of that coin is that a new heavens and a new earth are also coming. And in this new heavens and new earth, we find a place where righteousness dwells. So our hope is not just that we would avoid destruction, but that we will instead dwell with Christ in holiness and righteousness. Well, if that is our hope, then we diligently pursue that holiness and righteousness even today, do we not? We read earlier in 2 Peter, we are to be partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? We're to grow in these godly qualities, become more Christ-like. We add to our faith virtue and our virtue knowledge, our knowledge, self-control. We add to our self-control steadfastness and brotherly affection and love. We know that it's in this way that there will be richly provided for us an entrance into the eternal kingdom of God. But where do I get this conformity to Christ? Look at those words in verse 14. There we see we are to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Does that that phrase, do those words remind us of anything? There's a couple places I can think of. One is in Ephesians 5, talking about um, the metaphor of Christ and the church. Rather, (laughs) that marriage is the metaphor of Christ and the church. Uh, We also read about in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. So in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, there we read, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we are to be diligent to be like Jesus, that God has in fact predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That we read that in Romans 8. So we are to pursue conformity to Christ. Further, we are to have peace with God, not fearing the judgment. We are to be diligent to confirm our calling and election. Next, we see that we are to preach the gospel. This is point four. We are to preach the gospel or proclaim the gospel. Again, that word preach or that word proclaim is not found in those verses 15 and 16, but I'll show you where I get that from. In verse fifteen, we read, "And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul, our, our beloved brother Paul, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters." Again, it's not just enough to know that God is patient in fulfilling His promise. From verses eight and nine, but why is He patient? Why is He patient? He does not wish that any should perish. But that all should reach repentance. So knowing that, how do we live in light of that? Again, we remember that there are those who are still dead in their trespasses and sin. There are those whose portion is not the new Jerusalem, but the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, the second death. Because we know that there are still those who are not yet saved, we are diligent to preach the gospel we are to proclaim the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. So daily we preach the gospel to others, to the unsaved. We daily preach that gospel to each other in the church so that we might endure. We preach that gospel even to ourselves as a means of abiding in Christ. Do you need the gospel this morning? Do we each need the gospel this morning? Yes. First Corinthians 15 Paul writes there. Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand. So the gospel being preached to us is not a once and done moment in history. It's something in which we presently stand, and we stand in the gospel by proclaiming the gospel daily. So we've seen here as we run through our outline. The day of the Lord will come by God's word. It will come for God's judgment. It will come in God's patience. It will come like a thief. It will come to expose. And since Christians look forward to that day, that we wait for that day, we therefore live in holiness. We hasten that day. We pursue conformity to Christ. We preach the gospel finally we come to the summary of the entire letter, what Peter hopes that the church will remember after he is gone. This is our final point this morning. We are to guard ourselves as we grow in grace for glory. We are to guard ourselves as we grow in grace for glory. We read, starting in the middle of verse 16, there are some things in these letters of Paul that ...are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him... Be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So there will be false teachers; those who are ignorant and unstable, those who are not simply unlearned and easily led astray, those without a solid foundation. These, no, are the ones who distort—that is, to twist or torment—as in torture Scripture, like Satan himself. And this twisting of Scripture is to their own destruction. And likely to the destruction of those whom they teach. Church, we need men who hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that they may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. In fact, may we esteem such men as those keeping watch over our souls. In fact, as those who will have to give an account. May we let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to us. Beloved, we know this beforehand. Let us take care to guard ourselves, that we are not carried away, that we are not enticed by the false teachers and lawless people, by even the world itself. Instead, let us grow in the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let us grow in the knowledge of Him. He is our rock, He is the rock upon which we stand, He is our stability. Let us supplement our faith with knowledge. Let's lay a hold of the apostolic teaching. Let's pay attention to the prophetic word as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day of the Lord dawns and that morning star arises in our hearts. And what a glorious day that will be! How fitting that Peter ends with this doxology, this praise of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he might have not just some glory. <laughs> or a glory, but the glory now. The glory in our lives in this world, even as we see it through a mirror dimly, we will see it one day face to face. Even as we know in part now, we shall, not, we shall at one point know fully, even as we have been fully known. It seems to me as we conclude Second Peter and I conclude this sermon that the last words are not mine, but scriptures. That even as we look forward to that day of the Lord, even as we remind ourselves through scripture of what that day will look like, that we would actually read what that day looks like. The Apostle John wrote in Revelation 1, verse 3, Blessed, what does blessed mean? It means like a true happiness. right? Blessed is the one who reads aloud... The words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. So, as we conclude our time together, I'm going to read, you can read along with me, Revelation 21, continuing where we left off in our scripture reading this morning, as we get a fuller glimpse of what awaits us in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a high wall with twelve gates, and at the twelve gates are at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the twelve the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by the human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold. "'Clear as glass. "'The foundations of the, wa- of the wall of the city "'were adorned with every kind of jewel. "'The first was jasper, the second sapphire, "'the third agate, the fourth emerald, "'the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, "'the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, "'the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, "'the eleventh s- jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. "'And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. "'Each of the gates were made of a single pearl.' and the city of the in the street of the city was pure gold transparent as glass and i saw no temple in the city for its temple is the lord the almighty and the lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it for the glory of god gives it light and its lamp is the lamb by its light the nations will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side, No light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits, of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evil doer still do evil, and let the filthy still be filthy, And the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they might have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates." outside the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit, says, uh, the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.